and we are live. Hello, hello. Hello. Well, oh, hello. Oh, no. <laughs> I guess never say hello at that point. That's exciting. I like that. I just wanted to. I felt like I was being left out. Oh, no, that's, that's fun. Get involved. We like it. We like it. Uh, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Strong Tea. I'm Katie. I'm Vicky. And I'm Michael. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I love that. Um, we haven't been joined by another host today, but we have got a wonderful guest who you just heard there. Um, I'll leave that to Vicky to talk all about. But if you haven't joined us before, Strong Tea is a podcast which talks all about the things that we really should be talking more about. Things that people tend to stick their head in the sand, things that people are uneducated on, um, things that people sometimes have negative opinions on when they really don't know enough about it. So that's what we're here doing today. But before we get into that, what are we drinking? Michael, you go first because you're our wonderful guest. I am drinking a double shot coffee with, this is quite controversial, with, because I can't drink milk. So I am now converted to oat milk. Okay. Um, But I've gone quite old school with this coffee. This has got coffee mate in it. Wow, that's still a thing. Yes, my father-in-law brought it round, and I was like, "Oh, I'll give that a go." It does have milk fats in it, though, so it's probably going to make me poorly. Oh no! It's just powdered milk, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. I think yeah. Well, when I look at the what was in it, um, there's a ton of weird stuff in it. But anyway, it's quite nice. It is very eighties, though, isn't it? Is it? I love that cup, though. Is that That to keep the warmth in? Yeah, they're these double insulated, um, mm. again, quite retro looking, um, mm. but they, they keep your drink nice and um, warm. I, th- I, I love it. Maybe that's what I need because I never seem to get to the bottom of a hot drink these days. Me too. So. Oh, absolutely. These, these definitely help. Oh, I'll, I'll invest in some of those. Uh, Vicky, what are you drinking? I am drinking, uh, I'm going to get the name wrong again, a Vadam. Um, pure mint tea. I love pure mint tea. It just is really refreshing and it helps my tummy. So yeah, that's what I'm drinking this morning. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What about you? I have gone for, and I found this in the cupboard because I was too scared to drink it when I was pregnant because I was terrified that raspberry leaf tea would send me into early labor, even though all the midwives say, you know, you really have to drink a lot of it for that to happen. Um, And this is called Organic Happy Bumps from a company called Nipper & Co. Um, And they've got such nice teas and they're all made by women for women. So they've got menopause tea, they've got breast milk tea, they've got PMS tea. And this has got peppermint, spearmint, ginger, raspberry leaf and rose petals in. Oh, nice. I know. And I'm drinking out my mug that my husband bought me, which has got mama corn on it, which is like a normal mum, just more awesome. And he couldn't well, be more right. Couldn't be more right. Oh, bless you. Bless you, Vicky. Is it nice, though? It is. It's not super strong, um, yeah. but it is a nice flavour. It is quite sort of like a nice calming like, yeah, I'm not a fan flavor. of rose, the rose flavour. I'm not. I'm not. And you can't overly taste the rose. It tastes more minty. Okay. Okay, nice. Yeah, so maybe you should get some organic Happy Bumps tea. I'm going to look into it. Yeah, why not? (laughs) (laughs) So we are so happy to welcome Michael with us today. Um, Now, I first came across, uh, using your full name, Michael Johnson Ellis, um, in a book called Dad uh, by Elliot Ray, where Michael wrote about how he and his husband's journey of having his gorgeous kids, Tallulah and Duke, through surrogacy. What stuck with me was not only how touching and humorous the telling of his story was, but 
also how much I didn't know about surrogacy. Um, and it was eye-opening. Um, Michael's one half of Two Dads UK, which he and his husband Wes launched in 2017. And it was to blog and spread awareness of their surrogacy journey. And since then, I mean, they've just been going from strength to strength. Um, they've even established UK clinic partnerships where he provides help to IVF clinics. Um, the projects and successes just keep on coming. And we are so lucky to have Michael join us today, who can tell us about his incredible journey so far. So, Michael, tell us your story. <laughs> oh, hello. This would have been really nice or nicer if I hadn't spoiled the beginning by just like sh- screaming hello and <laughs> ju- jumping all over your intro. So, I'm out. Yeah, we like that. We like Love that. it. <laughs> um, but I'm really excited to be here because I, um, I love what the podcast is based and I'm really and I really appreciate you wanting to spread more awareness about the incredible um work of surrogacy that exists not only in the UK but internationally and and it's a real passion of mine and my husband Wes's um so much so that it's we've literally dedicated our lives and careers to it we've completely changed what we do for a living to um make surrogacy more accessible safer provide more support to people and 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 offer services um be it clinical um legal emotional or practical to to those that are childless or wanting to complete their family through surrogacy Amazing. I, I, I love I love this when we had our initial chat with you and you were like and we do this oh yeah and we're doing that and and then that's another thing that we do it and I was just like oh my god <laughs> how do these guys have two children and do so much I ask myself that every <laughs> single morning and just you know like like everyone else there's all of the other stuff to sort and um there's never a dull day in this house. Um, the kids are hilarious um, and fierce. Um, and yeah, I, I I do struggle sometimes to think, oh my God, what happened today? Because um, we, we take a lot on and there's a lot to do. And this year's a huge year for surrogacy, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, but it's we, we also have a, a number of other projects and businesses that work within the family building and fertility spaces so we we certainly like to, to keep ourselves busy absolutely but tell us where oh sorry on. oh no i was gonna say tell us where it all began <laughs> tell you okay where that was my mom trying to ring me she heard about you being on the podcast I know, she's like this is amazing can i be involved <laughs> Let me just tell her can you not do this please <laughs> um <laughs> so how, where did it all begin so you are absolutely right in the sense that two dads uk began in 2017 and, and that, that began at Tallulah was born in october 2016 and um we had um a bit of a bumpy start to building our family in the sense that um we had to navigate it all by ourselves, and we made mistakes some of which were were major some of which cost us financially and and definitely emotionally and and because no one was guiding us and telling us what to look out for or what what not to do um we just had to muddle our way around it and that was because at that particular time 
the landscape in the UK of non-profit surrogacy organisations was um, not accepting new members or intended parents, of which that was us. So we had to do independent surrogacy. And independent surrogacy is absolutely fine. But you don't have professional support. Um, you know, you you do this all by yourself and with support of maybe Facebook groups or other people. And and for some people, that's wonderful. For us, um, it was a challenge. And that meant that what we learned along that, that journey, we wanted to share with people. So we launched Two Dads UK, and then we wanted to help fertility clinics understand gay men's needs when building a family better because you know we would have to scribble names off forms because it would be two men not what not one man one woman we would never see ourselves represented in the clinic so there weren't people that looked like us in their merchandise in their brochures on their walls um and then even the andrology area of of treatment so going to provide a sperm sample in a fertility clinic that wasn't catered for gay men's needs was also really off-putting because you would go in to provide a sperm sample and be given a load of heterosexual straight porn which was just (laughs) not gonna work so we had to educate clinics on if you want to get this right for gay men then you need to make some changes and they listened and we we set up the first partnerships of, of its kind in the fertility industry with clinics. And that has gone really well. And we continue to do all of that. Um, but surrogacy is like it's it's our family. And we we just saw the other challenges that exist with the law in the NHS, with policy, with awareness, with education. And we decided to go full steam ahead and start making more change. It sounds like you've had the biggest journey so far I mean and I can only imagine with all the things that the fingers in the pies that you have that there's going to be so much more to come but was there and you said there was hardly any representation for LGBTQ people within sort of the fertility side of things did you feel that there was a stigma attached to it at the time Mm, absolutely there was a stigma um and that was partly to blame to the media um, because surrogacy was always dramatised in TV, in Hollyoaks, in EastEnders, in um, other TV shows, that there was always a drama with surrogacy. And that's not surrogacy. Surrogacy's, surrogacy in the UK is really straightforward. It's not exploitative. Surrogates um, choose and consent themselves to help another person or couple have a family um and we get really frustrated when people think that surrogacy organizations or intended parents are preying on these vulnerable women in inverted commas when that's just not the case at all you know these are women that are choosing to help other people and consenting with their own uterus and body and mind that they want to help someone have a family and and it's taken and still takes us a lot of energy and time to educate people about that because there's there's so many stigmas and and uh and areas that are just not true that what people think surrogacy is rather than what surrogacy actually isn't um UK surrogacy is beautiful. It's built on friendship and trust. 
and because of the law currently. Um, but it's also really, really safe. And that's something that we like to educate people on as well. You mentioned, um, I know we had a chat originally um, when we did our initial conversation and, and we talked a lot about how surrogates, you know, there's a lot, a lot of stigma attached to the surrogate side of things about um you know how the sort of what happens if the surrogate wants to keep the baby and and things yeah. like that and you'd sort of say you know that's incredibly rare but it also comes from the other side as well which is hardly heard about tell us a little bit about that side of things yeah so and and this is where surrogates get this really unfair representation that you know that they're going to keep a child um and that is really really unheard of um there's been there's been instances where you know consent has not been given um but that's generally because of a welfare issue of of that child potentially um but these these are i think less than 2% of cases since 1985 have gone sour but and rather the other side of that is what people don't talk about is there have been cases similar numbers where intended parents leave a surrogate that is pregnant um, and doesn't um, complete that surrogacy journey for that particular surrogate. And that's absolutely awful and abhorrent. And I just cannot get my head around why why someone would do that i just think mm. it's disgusting mm. um but that is that is also really rare but there have been cases where that has happened and just like the intended parents worry that a surrogate's going to keep their baby surrogates are petrified sometimes that you know what if the intended parents never call me back once we're pregnant because you know legally they are in the eyes of the law currently as of today the legal parent of that child because they are giving birth and that's what the law currently states that they are the legal parent of that child and if they're married their spouse is also the other legal parent so it's a huge responsibility and that's why trust is really important because you know contracts are not enforceable um the law in the uk is all about altruistic surrogacy where surrogates are reimbursed reasonable expenses to to carry a child and and people can't profit from surrogacy in the uk so that's why both contracts and surrogacy organizations have to be um contracts not enforceable but organizations have to be non-profit mm. but, oh sorry katie we didn't do our hand signals then sorry oh. sorry I, I you carry on but i'll write down what i want to say so that i don't because okay. you don't forget um i was just wondering just for the benefit of listeners and so on because i obviously read it in your your story about the the kind of almost step by step of how you went about um going through a surrogate and what happened so could you kind of talk about the journey through mm. surrogacy of course can so um our journey began when we decided whether to go down an organizational route or go down an independent surrogacy route. Um, and, and that is that, so in the UK, on the gov.uk website, um, they recommend um, for surrogacy organizations as of now. And um, 
they are Surrogacy UK, Brilliant Beginnings, COTS and My Surrogacy Journey. The latter is the one that we now um, run and, and manage. Um, but back in 2015, um, there were only three. Um, obviously, My Surrogacy Journey wasn't formed. And none of those three would accept um, me and Wes as members because they had a shortage of surrogates. So that's why we went down the independent route. Um, and that meant that we could either find a surrogate through closed Facebook groups or there were other networking sort of notice boards online where you could meet a network with surrogates. Now, it's important to stress that you can't advertise for a surrogate in the UK. That's illegal. Um uh, but certainly there are these communities where you can meet surrogates and that's perfectly fine. Um, and that's the route that we had to go down. And finding a surrogate in the UK can, for us, took us around about sort of uh, eight weeks we met Caroline, um, which was really quick. You know, Caroline reached out to us. The other um, option um, is if you're looking through a nonprofit organisation to, to find a surrogate through them. Um, some organizations will match you, um, like My Surrogacy Journey, and some of them you will go on social meetups on a weekly basis and you know, with a view to click with someone that you meet there. And that's like Surrogacy UK. Um, but the average wait time for a surrogate is around about 18 months to two years. Um, I think that's the majority of what people are waiting for currently. Um, but we we hope that's going to change as more people raise more awareness, more women decide that, you know, this is something I've always wanted to do. Because that's what we hear, you know, when surrogates come forward, they're like, I've always wanted to do this. I just didn't know where to start. Um, which is which we we're hearing more and more through my surrogacy journey. Um, but then it was a case of um, finding a clinic. So we had to find a clinic that had um, an LGBTQ pathway. Um, and by that, they did gay surrogacy and they understood the needs of two men. Um, but we also needed an egg donor um, and we would have a surrogate. So we needed to create embryos, freeze them or do a fresh transfer. And we were only using my sperm first and then we wanted more children. And what the plan was is that our egg donor would redonate to us and then Wes would then fertilize those retrieved eggs and we would freeze or transfer those ones. And that was what the plan was. Um, but unfortunately, we um, had a couple of challenges along the way. And that was with regards to our egg donor. And that was where we made our first, I don't want to call it a mistake because it would change the dynamic of our family now, but I wish someone would have explained to us, which is what we now do about the importance of creating all of your embryos in one go, if you can, with that donor, because our donor didn't redonate for our son we had to change donors because she had got sick in the interim um and that meant that our children don't have a genetic link um which now i know isn't a big deal but at the time we were devastated and really upset by the fact that our children didn't have a genetic link with each other um less concerned now because our genetics aren't as important um but when you're setting out on that first piece genetics is everything and again no one was educating us on that bit want to know this is a weird weird question so sorry for this 
you know, with the um, sperm donation. Yeah. Can you mix sperm together? No. No. You can't. No, you can't. So you can't mix sperm um, and you can't. So when you're creating embryo with one sperm, one egg from essentially the people, your class as a donor because of the the way the HFEA regulates surrogacy. When you're going through surrogacy, when you're providing sperm, your class as a donor Um, and you can't mix the sperm. So you would create your embryos based on um, whoever's providing those gametes. Right. Um, you can't in the UK also mix, um, put two sets of embryos back into um, a surrogate or, or uterus that is um, from two separate people as well. So whereas in, in the States and in other locations, you could have a surrogate or, or a person carrying a child that was carrying twins, but one was from one father and one was from another father, but the same eggs. So that happens. So that that's something that is fairly common. Double embryo transfers, though, are becoming um, and, and and quite rightly more um, or, or less common, just because of the risk involved to surrogate and to the babies. Yeah. You mentioned before um, about the surrogate's name and if they're married, you know, uh, the other half being legally the parents. Mm -hmm. How did that sit with the when the surrogate was pregnant, when Caroline was pregnant for you? Were you able to go to appointments? Were you able to get involved in that process? Yeah, we were. And that was because we were quite tenacious anyway. And that's we did get some pushback in the very early days from our NHS trust and they um, initially were quoting the law of, you know, yes, but you know, this child legally is not yours. Um, so we had to challenge them and we, we did that legally and we, we sent a, an intention to sue based on there were 12 counts of discrimination under the equality act um and we didn't want we didn't want compensation we just wanted them to look at their policy and realize that it wasn't fair mm. um and this was the start of two dads uk realizing that there's so much wrong out there at the moment with regards to surrogacy and misinformation that we should change and challenge that and and we did and that meant that that ripple went through the entire nhs and and lots of other nhs trusts rewrote policy as a result of that challenge um but um, all appointments we attended, all scans we attended, uh, when we, we definitely um, was very, very present throughout everything of our um, pregnancies. It just meant that we um, we had uh, a very different journey than most people because we always had to be planning ahead and, and thinking, well, how is this person going to react to us? Does this person know our case? Are they going to, there were instances where we were tried to be stopped going into a scan and, you know, quotes like, oh, only the real dad's allowed in here, you know, and that's triggering. It's, it's, it's quite common, unfortunately. So it's, there's a lot of education to be done with healthcare professionals about surrogacy. And that's a project that I'm working with, with the Royal College of Nursing on to, to make sure we, we, we do that and we educate midwives better to understand surrogacy. You mentioned there about it being triggering. 
what was there support that you sought for yourself or Wes in terms of how mentally you were going to cope during the surrogacy process? Is that something that's considered? Um, so as part of surrogacy, the HFEA, which is the regulator for the fertility industry in the UK, they they also recommend implications counselling when you are having surrogacy or fertility treatment and or when you're using donor gametes. And that's really mainly about understanding what you're getting into, that you're having a donor conceived child. Um, but unfortunately, and I hate using this phrase, a lot of people think it's a bit of a tick box exercise and people don't take it seriously enough. And we didn't because no one was telling us otherwise. Um, and it wasn't until we had our children that we really needed more emotional support um, because you've got two parents, two new parents, but one of them is a non-biological parent and that's really challenging. And whilst we love our children equally and we genuinely, genuinely do, when you're a non-bio, non-birthing parent, you are very triggered to words and phrases. So, for example, I remember holding Tallulah. She was weeks old and we were sleep deprived. I was on the sofa and Wes was holding her and then I wanted to have her back to feed her. And I simply just said, um, can you give me my baby? Can you give me my baby? Um, not meaning how that sounds now. And I remember seeing him just like almost like crumple. And we never spoke about that moment for two years. So we hadn't spoke about that for for two years. And, and it was two years because it was when Duke came along, who I'm not genetically linked to. And I remember being really anxious before he was born that I wasn't going to bond with him. And, and you know, Tallulah had been my world for so, so long or felt like so long. And I felt guilty that someone else was going to be sharing my love. And I also felt worried that I wouldn't love him. Um, and when he was born, I just was besotted with him. But he was the double of Wes, obviously. And and I really hated that because no one in our family looks like me. And Tallulah's, I know I'm I'm, you know, olive skinned, black moustache, dark brown eyes, black hair. Tallulah's... You didn't want Tallulah to have a black moustache, did you? No. <laughs> You know what? I think she'd look quite cool with a black <laughs> But she, but Tallulah looks like Wes, and that's because we chose our egg donor based on Wes's characteristics because we used right. my sperm first. So no one looks like me. Well, Tallulah tells me the dog has the same colour eyes as me. So, you know. um, but I, when when um, Duke was born, he's like the double of all of them, you know. And Wes, is, Wes also has an eighteen-year-old daughter, and they all they all look the same, which is beautiful. But I was just like. Oh, people would be out and people would say oh my gosh um doesn't um doesn't Duke look like Wes and I would be like yeah I'm his dad as well and they would be like yeah we know Mike we know you're his dad and then I would then I would be really embarrassed because I was like 
reminding them that I'm a dad too. And they were that for them, that was never in question. But for me, because I hadn't prepared myself for how emotionally I was overcompensating all of the time, to the point of which when Duke was here, I I wouldn't let him I wouldn't pass him to people. I was quite possessive with him because I wanted him to imprint on me. And I was like, I was like this obsessed weirdo. Um, and it was really unhealthy. And it got to the point where I had to go to the doctor because I wasn't sleeping. I was getting depressed. And I was now, I now know that I was suffering from male PND, but I, and that's because I hadn't dealt with the emotional elements of surrogacy and what it's like being a non-biological parent because no one tells you about that so that's something that we really build into people's care when they're going through a journey when one of them is non-biologically linked I think talking about the mental health impacts of it is something that probably until you're in it is not really considered because the whole thing is is totally not but the whole process sounds quite transactional in the sense that you are the the donors and then they are implanted and then there's the pregnancy and then there's the baby. And it all sounds quite, um, I don't know, just like you've got these. There's factors. processes. Yeah, processes. You know, and, there's, and, there's, and there's definitely processes along the way. And, and you do, and, and surrogacy, so if you're heterosexual and you need surrogacy, you are broken at the point of arriving at surrogacy. You've been through multiple losses. You know, you're having to grieve that you can't carry or have a genetically linked child. You have you may have had stillborn. You've definitely had miscarriages and you've had umpteen failures of IVF that have probably cost you emotionally and financially. So when you're heterosexual and you arrive at surrogacy, these people are broken. And you can see it. They are broken. Um, but when you're gay or LGBTQ and you arrive at surrogacy, you, you arrive at it really excited and joyous because this is the first start, the first point of that glimmer to have a family. Um, and, and whilst the processes are similar, emotionally, we need to give more attention to those people that maybe haven't dealt with some of those losses first. And again, that's why we 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 built the emotional packages the way we have for heterosexual people going through surrogacy because their journeys are very very different. It's interesting you're talking about the postnatal depression as well because I think a lot of people do um, associate that with the the birthing person who has given birth and, qu and quite rightly the hormones and all of yeah. that, but very little is considered to the the non birthing mm -hmm. partner or person involved in the journey, and I yeah. find that really. Well, it's positive that you've got it in in place with my surrogacy journey and that that is something that you are really heavily pushing for people to consider that postnatal depression affects more than just the birthing person. Absolutely. And it's really important that we talk about that. And it's and it's really important that we also you know talk about um, men as well in, in relation to postnatal depression, mm. um, because it's real and we just haven't spoke about it as a society and men have been afraid to talk about it because of the whole you know toxic masculinity mm -hmm. culture that we unfortunately are 
living and breathing in at the moment you know it's um but but telling people that you know it's okay mm-hmm. um is really important because it can be a really dark point both for your relationship um but being a new parent as well i think it's interesting because i think men in particular when they become fathers the expectation is well yeah mum mum's the primary carer she'll look after it you're supposed to feel like this you're supposed to go back to work you're supposed to spend time away but it's never kind of said well it's okay to feel bitter about that it's Mm -hmm. okay to want to spend more time with your family it's Mm -hmm. okay to feel this and express it and talk about it it's almost like we're back in the 1950s it's never ended about roles and men have to just fit into this mold absolutely and and um you know parenting is very different now uh, and and quite rightly so and brilliant that it is you know not everyone you know not every um birthing person stays at home and not every family has an active birthing person present you know it's it's families are very very different nowadays and certainly for me when i when we had Tallulah i only had 6 weeks off work because my the organization i was working for um, men didn't go off and, and spend time with their kids. It's just only six years ago. And I remember the, 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 someone in the company saying to me, I think you've just committed career suicide by having a child. And that's, you know, and that pressure on me to, and I went back, I left, you know, Tallulah was six weeks old and I went straight back to work. And I, and I, I worked in London, lived in Birmingham. And that that wow. was a challenge to do that. And I missed out on so much with T. Um, because I was fearful of losing my job. Wow, it is interesting. It's it's one of those things that we just don't talk about enough. So definitely, definitely one for another podcast for sure. Oh, you've yeah. talked you've talked about the mental um, cost of surrogacy. Can we talk about the financial costs yeah, as well? Um, sure. From both from both sides, really. Yeah. So. Um, surrogacy in the in the uk is um that there's two elements to the cost options really and i say options loosely because you've got traditional surrogacy and then you've got gestational surrogacy so we did gestational surrogacy which means our surrogate wasn't genetically linked to our child an egg donor therefore we had ivf so gestational surrogacy is more expensive because you have the cost of donation and ivf and you're all of that involved work involved traditional surrogacy is when you do home insemination and therefore the surrogate is genetically linked to the baby um and both are fairly equal in popularity um traditional surrogacy you would just have the cost of the surrogate's expenses um which i'll come on to and then uh gestational surrogacy the total cost for the average gestational journey is between 40 and 55,000 pounds. And that involves the surrogate's expenses, your IVF with donor eggs, Mm -hmm. any membership fees for any of the organizations you might want to join. If you wanted support of an organization, they have fees too. Some of the fees, um, you know, are around a thousand pounds and some of them go, go, tens and tens of thousands of pounds and depending on who you choose um but the average cost for um a gestational journey with an agency supporting you i would budget for around about the the 50 pound mark um 
if you're doing traditional surrogacy then. So the average surrogate's expenses in the UK is round about sort of 15, 16,000 pounds um, for, for a surrogate to, to carry a child. Their expenses are round about that number. And that depends on the surrogate, on their home circumstances, on their children, whatever their setup might be. But yeah, that, that, that tends to be the cost. What factors into expenses of a surrogate? So that's a good question. It's um, it's quite broad because, again, the law doesn't stipulate what are reasonable expenses at the moment. Now we are that that, that may change when the law reform, the dra- when the law commission announced their draft consultation later this autumn. But things like. Um, Obviously, maternity clothing and childcare and um, assistance around the house. So whether that's a cleaner or a gardener or someone to help with the, the children, because if someone is pregnant and they have two or three other children, um, it might be quite tiring. And normally when it's your own pregnancy, you can you, you, you would carry on as you would. But when you're carrying someone else's child, then it's it's perfectly acceptable for additional childcare and support for that person carrying that child to have. So we provided our surrogate with you know extra care around the house, uh, extra care with cleaning and and like I say gardening and and assistance she had with she had her own business so she had a um, she had horses so we we provided assistance with that for example um but mileage for appointments and um expenses and vitamins and um the odd takeaway that she may need for her kids you know she's knackered or feeling sick and she's got you know five mouths to feed then you know well you know a takeaway every couple of weeks is absolutely fine to have on your expenses. You know, it's really broad. Um, mm. Now you can't put things on there like a brand new car and, you know, a, a trip <laughs> to the Maldives, you know, but you can, you know, what, what some people do like to do is that recuperation break at the end of the pregnancy, um, which might mean that her and her family regroup at the end of that pregnancy and have a week at Centre Parks. I I think it's amazing the whole the whole surrogate journey the person that commits their body to carrying a child for someone else I think is incredible I've I've had two pregnancies now and to be fair they've been very good pregnancies in terms of the healthiness of them and they've been textbook but I found them very taxing on my body mm-hmm. and for someone to actually step up and say I will do this to help you out like how many women are there in the UK that are sort of um put themselves forward as surrogates that are known about you know um it's a real difficult one to put a number on it but Uh you know we um if you look at the the number of children being born a year in the UK is around about 500 and 50 children a year being born through surrogacy there's you know I would probably say of that number you know 490 surrogates let's say pregnant at any one time and that and that number's growing you know Mm -hmm. in in popularity by and what we hear which is really really lovely our surrogate coordinators we have the the amazing Gina and Hayley and Leanne that all 
consult with and make sure that these these surrogates are doing all of this for the right reasons. Um, a lot of the things that women say is that I've always wanted to do this and I just I just never never knew where to start or never knew where, how to begin. And but I always knew that I wanted to to be this. And we've got surrogates at my surrogacy journey that are childless by choice but want to have, they have a, uh, their, their body functions as it should. And they want to help someone else whose uterus doesn't work or don't have a uterus completely. So, you know, that's amazing that these yeah. women do not want children of their own, but they will go through all of the, the risk mm. um, and, and the, the put their body through what pregnancy can do. Um, I just find that, you know, surrogates are phenomenal yeah. humans. I, I I agree with you. I, I just think they're 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 just amazing. You mentioned um, bef- obviously the numbers of surrogates are, are rising, and I know with all the hard work that you that you Wes have been doing with throwing awareness out there, working with the clinics and so on. How how much of an increase is there now for um, people wanting to go down the surrogacy route? Is is that increasing as well? Yeah, it it really is. So the numbers, um, you know, certainly over the last ten years, have, have have quadrupled in the numbers of people approaching surrogacy. And what we have seen, you know, we've seen that international landscape um, develop as well. And you know, over the course of the last five years, um, certain destinations are no longer viable, and Thailand and India were were removed. For, for British people to to go to. And then more recently, we've had Ukraine, um, which was the third, I think, or fourth most popular destination for British people to go to for surrogacy. Wow. And now that isn't possible. Um, that's either meaning more people will come back to the UK um, or look into other destinations. Um, I'm and I'm hoping that with the year that we have with surrogacy, more and more people will understand surrogacy better. And, you know, we we see anything from 10 to 15 new inquiries a week from surrogates wanting to be a surrogate. So the, the numbers we have seen grown dramatically in the last six months, um, which I think is just really testament to the work that us and others are doing in this space to to talk about this in the right fashion with facts around what surrogacy actually is i've got so many questions I'm going to dive in there before you get. Before I know. Go, go on. Um, tell us about all of the things that you're doing. You've already talked about my surrogacy journey, and you mentioned to us about the Modern Family Show. Tell us about the things that you have uh, put in place or that you're working on to really support surrogacy in the UK. And I know what you said as well about it not just being LGBTQ, mm-hmm. but heteronormative families as well. Just that everyone who's looking to approach surrogacy. Yeah, so we we obviously have my surrogacy journey, which we launched in Feb 2021. Um, and then we launched a podcast to go with that called My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast, which was 18 episodes in season one. And it's a very educational podcast around surrogacy and a really fun listen as well. And then we developed the Modern Family Show. And the Modern Family Show developed in 2019. And we have... We run a show in London every September, September the 10th. 
And we run a show in San Francisco, October the 29th. And we run a show in Sydney, Australia on April the 29th. And then we're, we're going to add into that two new destinations in the US and one in Europe. And those shows are not just about surrogacy or IVF or shared motherhood. Or it also includes adoption and fostering and co-parenting and sperm donation and fertility preservation if you're trans and non-binary. Um, this is an event that doesn't exist anywhere globally and that is inclusive. And that means that when you want a family, but your traditional, the traditional family isn't what you're able to create, then the Modern Family Show is for you. Um, and you can be heterosexual. Uh, you don't have to be LGBTQ. You just you're not approaching traditional family building in in the way that society expects you to. You may need to approach that through adoption or through co-parenting or whatever it might be. So the Modern Family Show is a real joy. Um, it's a lot of hard work. You know, we're two weeks out from from London, and um, it's it's there's a lot to do. Um, but it's great. You know the the, the educational seminars that we run, there are three stages that educate people around all of the options that people have. And it's just a real fun, fun show. Um, and then we're working with the Law Commission, with with the law um, to, and we've been working with them since, since 2016 with a view to make sure that the law change um, is inclusive and is considered. And that's something that we're, We've, we've been fully involved in. And that draft proposal is out in the autumn of this year. And we'll know then what the, the draft proposal will look like. And um, so we're we're keeping fingers crossed that things, and we're quite hopeful already that parental responsibility from birth for intended parents is going to be one of the biggest changes that we're going to see. Um, whereas, as we've discussed at the moment, that is on the surrogate and their spouse. Um, so legal parent and from birth is is what we're is is what we're fairly certain is going to be one of the biggest changes that will come from the new law. You really are pioneering in this area. I think obviously English or UK law or whatever is it's not keeping up with what people need and what is happening right now. And I think you know what you're doing is inspirational and you know Thank you. changing. It's just completely changing everything. Um, and it sounds like you've gone global. So what's your um, kind of, it sounds like you're taking the road on the show to spread awareness about surrogacy and so on, you know, but what's going to happen in relation to the impact of their laws and their policies? Um, and, and that, again, is is um, it's quite complex because the laws vary from country to country mm. uh, and from state to state, if you're looking at the US. Um but we we absolutely have this goal and ambition to change the landscape of surrogacy, and that's to through education really. Um, but we, you know, we we just don't stop, Wes and I. You know, we we're really tenacious as a couple. Someone tells us no, and we we just you know hold that thought. Let's just come back and try and turn that around, and that's how we work. You know, we've created. Mm the surrogacy network which is the only networking group for surrogacy professionals in the uk and and we have some amazing speakers that come to that every quarter and that's bringing clinics and organizations and and the industry all together um but there's a lot more to do you know there's a lot to do in the us there's a lot to do in yeah. in, in in australia and we you know we i guess we won't stop until 
we uh we we carry on educating people around around this amazing act of of what is surrogacy absolute powerhouse <laughs> thank you i know it's probably not an in a nutshell answer um but if there are people out there who who are um prepared to um embark Oh, where have you gone? You okay, Katie. Can you see me? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I'm trying. <laughs> I was trying to talk, and I was like, I don't. Everything's disappeared off my screen, so I don't know if you can see me or not. So that's you fine. Can. I'm just going to carry on talking. Um, yes. Yeah, so it's not in a nutshell, um, as it were. But what would you um advise people like if they were sort of embarking on this journey themselves and they're thinking, right, we've exhausted all of our other options, and we really want to consider surrogacy? What advice would you give? Um, I would always recommend people, both me and Wes always say to people that it's always good for them to do their own research and to, to understand, you know, what, what's entailed within surrogacy. You know, this isn't, this isn't a quick fix. Um, it's, it's not a, you know, a, a bandaid solution to infertility. You know, this is a real, it's a journey for a reason. Um, and, uh, it's incredibly highly strung emotionally um there's ups and there's downs there's highs and there's lows so prepare yourself for that you know it isn't always plain sailing it doesn't always work first time um but when it does work it's it's beautiful and, and it's about keeping that faith and and knowing that organizations like us have got your back and that have created pathways that are inclusive and that are considered and that are you know leading you on a, a beautiful pathway to parenthood um but it's got to feel right for you do what feels right and uh and then the rest you know your team your scaffolding will 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 make sure that you you get on the right path and that's what i would say to people just choose choose that team wisely and and do do some of your own research and and make sure that this is this is the journey for you. I love I, I love that. I think yeah. I think you've you've really nailed it there. And I, I we will obviously include all your links and things. And if people want to get in touch with you, I just think what you're doing is so wholesome and so nice to be able to give that support to people. Because obviously, like you say, a lot of these people are broken when they get to this stage. And it's so nice that they feel like, I mean, I feel like it's a nice, warm, furry, fuzzy place to be in, like what you're creating for people on what can be a very difficult journey. Yeah. And and thank you for that. Um, that's what we want to create. You know, we want to we want to make sure everyone is safe and is taken care of. And, and you know, there's the the benefits that surrogates and known egg donors and intended parents get through my surrogacy journey is completely unrivaled globally and that's because we've been there and we want to make sure everyone is really looked after and 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 has a different type of experience than what they that there is available currently we offer all our guests a final sip which is basically the floor is yours is there any message? Is there any <laughs> advice? Is there absolutely anything you want to share with Strong Tea listeners? 
Oh, oh he's taking a, big, a swig. Big swig. Big <laughs> swig of the coffee and the coffee mate. And the coffee mate. <laughs> I yes, so there would be. Um it's really straightforward. And it's and it's it might seem quite simple to other people, but just don't give up. I think you can feel quite emotionally broken and and financially on your knees, but do not give up. You know, surrogacy is a beautiful way to build a family and to essentially change the world's blueprint of all of these new humans put on it by all of the great work that people do in this space. So whilst it might get dark and it might get really lonely, um, just keep at it because rest assured there's people out there that have got you on this. Oh, God, Michael. <laughs> oh, we never get through an episode without without uh, tears. Yeah. One of us always gets wet eyes. <laughs> That's lovely. That is really lovely. And I think um, this episode will open up a lot of people's eyes to it even if they're not considering surrogacy I think it's it's good that we're talking about it and that it's a a conversation that is being had because there's so much miseducation about there so thank you for taking the time and we will include all of your wonderful links to uh, the Modern Family Show um, to your websites to your Instagram accounts and let everyone follow the wonderful journeys of Duke and Tallulah and of course you and Wes um, and everything that you're doing so thank you ever so much a pleasure thank you so much ladies it's been an Aww. absolute joy thank you <laughs> thank you and thank you to everyone who's listening and um, please check out the back catalogue and other episodes that we have recorded on spotify amazon apple and google podcasts yeah we're also on uh yeah we're samsung as well now i think oh, we're everywhere we're yeah. everywhere just search yeah, strong t-chat it should come up <laughs> but don't forget to tune in for the next episode on our parenthood series and we will catch up with you all soon Bye. Bye.